Welcome to episode number eight of the Digital Guardian podcast. My name is Will Gradgetto. I'm the director of Advanced Threat Protection here at Digital Guardian. And with me today are Thomas Fisher, principal threat researcher, and our very special guest from Splunk, Mr. Rich Barger, formerly of Threat Connect. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for joining us, Rich. And thanks to Thomas, who's joining us from the, the sweltering heat of, of London town, where it is 86 yeah. degrees for all of you in North America, oh my, oh my. but where the rest of the world acknowledges it. 32 for those in Europe. That's right. 32 around the world, with the exception of North America. The pavement must be, must be bubbling. Right. Yeah, the train tracks are stopping because it's too hot. I mean, it's, this is England. It never gets this hot. <laughs> Why is it not raining? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Yeah. Well, it gets, it's just, uh, you know, global, you know, uh, climate change and all that kind of good stuff. So, yeah, we're here today to talk about the unsexy side of threat intelligence and what that means for practitioners, what that means for dedicated research professionals, teams, organizations dedicated and focused on that enough, on that initiative. All those things that are, that are really, that go unsung, right? All the, all the, the day-to-day back office sort of aspects of threat intelligence that don't necessarily make it to print in the form of media reports or news stories, right? But without which, there really would be nothing of substance, right? So, Rich, why don't you go ahead and give us some of your thoughts on some of the unsexy sides of threat intelligence? Yeah, well, that's great to, to be here and talk about that. You know, I'd always kind of kick things off to, you know, talk about requirements. I mean, a lot of folks just don't really sit down and talk about what they care the most about. There's been a lot of thought pieces that I've seen in, in recent years that, you know, people highlight the importance of of requirements or building requirements. But I wonder if, you know, there's a lot of pragmatic content for folks to kind of really sit down and, and talk about, you know, what is it that keeps the boss up at night? What are the major things that the company is doing currently or is going to do in the next 12 months that people care the most about or that resources are being allocated towards. So people can start to align, you know, the technologies by which business operations are conducted, the security controls by which that traffic and content or data flows through. And then, you know, at the end, what are we, what are we trying to protect and why? Because once we know that sort of thing, once we know what sort of questions we want to ask of our data, uh, we can start to approach it and uh, interrogate that data, come up with schemes by which we'll collect it, organize it, and then start trending towards more of those sexier side, the sexier side of things, you know, how it's analyzed, the analytics that go into it, how it's produced, the report, which, you know, has the, the gee whiz, flashbang, so what story that comes out. Um, what To your point, you know, it, there's there's a lot of a lot of things that go into making the sausage. <laughs> That's one of my favorite analogies for, for <laughs> you know, you don't need to know how the sausage is made. You just need to enjoy the sausage. <laughs> but yeah, so to your point, right, there's, you know, if we had to have a definition for the unsexy side of threat intelligence, I think it would be all of those things that are truly unsung and that, and that really most people who are consumers of threat intelligence are not likely to be interested in, right? To your point, the prioritization of things, right, in order to avoid boiling the ocean, right? You know, how things apply, how threat intelligence is structured and organized by virtue of the, the requirements you spoke about earlier, how those requirements reflect our application, you know, how they reflect our understanding of our critical assets, right? And, you know, whether or not 
those assets are mapped against our, our overall and overarching risk postures, whether we're an enterprise organization or whether we're organizations that are providing that intelligence for consumption to enterprises. You know, all those things are very important. I mean, you know, collections, for example, is, is a huge factor, right? You know, whether or not people truly understand that there, there is a very artful and scientific way to approach collection with respect to all source information. And then, then the, the distillation of, well, the discounting, the deduplication, all those kind of good things with respect to, you know, information as it is incorporated into our backend ecosystems for the express purpose of assimilation, right, and into a, some form of tangible or, in, or intangible intelligence, right? And that's those are important things. So, Thomas, would you like to add anything before we kind of go off on uh, any tangent here while my coffee kicks in? So, <laughs> <laughs> what you were saying, so, I mean, you know, we have the, when we're discussing this unsexy side of threat intelligence, there's one thing that's comes up, well, for me, comes up often is the idea behind an operational threat intelligence aspect which you're dealing with versus a strategic strategic threat intelligence. I mean, th- those are two different things. I mean, they feed each other, but Rich, I'd kind of like to know what you think about where that difference lies between operational versus strategic and, and how you would actually deal with, the, with those differences. Because one is very much focused on, on the aspects of actually implementing that threat intelligence versus the other, which is more focused on, that, on, those, on protecting those critical assets based on what you're being given as, as threat intelligence. Yeah, great question. I think, I think really at the end of the day, it comes down to what sort of decision are you trying to enable? What sort of effect are you trying to deliver? You know, if it's, if it's the, the SOC or the IT department or maybe some of the GRC guys that are trying to kind of lift their heads out of checkboxes and spreadsheets and, and get a little bit more forward-leaning, you know, there might be a little bit more, more of an operational focus where if the board is asking or, you know, other non-standard security players like finance department or M&A, the group that does M&As is asking, hey, you know, should we enter into this agreement or, you know, what have we seen over here? We don't open an office, you know, in this country, what, what sort of things should we look out, look out for? You know, that might dictate the type of production product or work product that you produce. It might require you to do more like a strategic product might require you to do more strategic or, or longer term retrospective analysis of you know various events maybe include other folks within your specific sector to get kind of this aggregate picture of of the the overall issue whereas more operationally focused product is going to be a little more concise maybe a little more technical in in flavor and it's going to address a specific type of consumer versus a strategic you know, decision maker. Right. So once we achieve that prioritization, right, and we do and we do have an understanding of who our consumers are, right, who are who, who the decision makers are, who are actually going to be able to, to pull that proverbial trigger to onboard our technology and subsequently consume that, the, our intelligence within, the, within their various and sundry frameworks. What do we need to do or what do we need to stress with, res- with respect to the business value of that intelligence and, and the processes that go, that go more or less unsung, right? They really do play into that idea of the unsexy side. You know, how do we properly express the value of taking the time to go through those prioritization exercises and really understand deeply and widely the impact and the effects that adversaries have on that prioritization and geopolitical themes have yeah. on, the, on that prioritization and the nexus points that exist you know, on a global basis between those things, right? And how does that play into things in your experience, Rich? How do those things play into collections and onboarding with respect to source identification, right? 
you and I have talked about in the past, the value and the virtue of teaching people to live off the land versus, nece- versus necessarily going out and being dependent upon third-party intelligence, whether it's open source or commercial exclusively, right? How do we factor all that in together to make more informed decisions with regard to threat intelligence while still at the same time paying close attention to those things which are more or less unsung? Okay. So you got a lot of, a lot of stuff buried in there. I'll try to pull it apart best I can. Let me know if I forget anything. You know, I really think kind of the answer to your, your first question is really goes back to kind of the feedback loop and really making sure that as, as you produce and answer those questions or answer against those requirements, that you're, you're checking in and saying, hey, how did I do? You know, and if this doesn't scratch the itch, how could it scratch the itch? And then going back and evaluate, oh, man, maybe if I would have added proxy data to that or, hey, maybe I should collect my DNS data because I would have had much more understanding as to like maybe this command and control method or something like that. So being able to dissect where you're where you're producing really well and where it could you know, be better versus just producing, you know, for the sake of production, you know, there back in the day in the IC, it's like producer perish, but then you, you know, you had these shops that would just kick out all sorts of, of reporting that was really no, you know, really not much value was just getting points on the board, but none of those were really effective. And so that feedback loop, you know, in my transition over to Splunk and, and, and building a product that is delivering content to help folks make decisions, interrogate their data and ask questions, we're really adopting a lot of engineering principles into like the agile method and and being able to to incrementally produce. And and through that incremental approach, we're always getting feedback and we're synthesizing that feedback and we're including it and we're making the product better. And I was really thinking, it's like, man, what would happen if the intelligence community or the, the threat intelligence community really adopted similar principles that come out of the software you know, software development practice and adopt some of those to, to synthesize some of the feedback because it's very quick. It's very tight. What was the kind of the second half of your question? Yeah. So the second half was really more along the lines of, you know, once we kind of go through those, those exercises and really kind of clearly articulate the value proposition that's demonstrated by all those backend, diverse backend exercises, mm-hmm. right? That are more or less unsung and unseen, yeah. you know, that have, that have a bearing on mm-hmm. the intersection between... Yeah threat and adversarial activity on a global right. scale with political influxes, all source versus exclusive machine oriented sources or things, yeah. things of that nature, right? You know, how do we best communicate that? And how do we, how do we continue to, to stress the value? Got and this it. is like an important question yeah. for threat intelligence producers, you know, I'm hesitant to say, you know, manufacturers, but for those organizations that produce threat intelligence as a primary consumable product or service, and at the same time, it's also important for consumers downstream to understand because, again, the valuation of, of intelligence is there's a lot that goes into that work if it's done properly, to your point, thoroughly. You know, it's much more than just assembling a, a CSV list of IPs and domains and kind of kicking it off and sending it downstream if you're conducting true intelligence work and analysis work. But I'll let you go ahead and, and uh, finish your thought. Can I just add to that, Rich? I mean, there's also sure. what I've seen. I mean, you know, what Will was talking about all these providers. For my book, there's, there's, there's almost a lack of taxonomy as well, you know, a universal kind of discussion on, well, universal categorization and universal way of presenting that data. For me, that's part of this discussion as well of, of how can we consume the information properly. So just so I understand, Thomas, was that, was that a follow-up question to, to Will? No, that was, yeah, Sorry, it's part of, part, of, part, yeah, as part of Will's question. It's like, you know, can, yeah. can we actually 
all the feeds that we're consuming, all the intelligence that we're consuming, can we actually, is there a way that we can make it better so that it's actually usable in a more co- coherent way? Because there's a lot of diff, you know, we'll mention CSVs or, you know, lists of IP addresses, but, yeah. and just some of the, some of the information that we get, we might get from yeah. three different providers. It's the same information, mm-hmm. but it's, it's categorized yeah. or it's, it's, it's presented in a different way. So we've, so there's, it's adds, just yeah. adds more work to, to what we're doing. Yeah, I mean, with that, I mean, that kind of goes back to the talk I gave at, at Sands last last year under the Threat Connect banner in terms of the where do we place the most value in, in the process or the product? Is it the methodology, the analytic methodology and the tradecraft by which I produce the indicators or the indicators themselves that, that provide the most value? And I, and I argue as to like where we are at kind of this intersection in our industry, it's like, I'm going to get more value. And knowing kind of the tradecraft or the analytic that you're using consistently, especially if it's very ubiquitous and I can apply it across, you know, if, if it can help me catch, you know, an APT actor as well as a criminal actor or other, other sorts of things, like really focusing on the technique versus this, this perishable indicator that has more value to me, that has more shelf life in terms of being able to target and detect and investigate something because it's a learned behavior. I can roll a new hash. I can dispose of a new IP and set up a new hop very, very quickly and be on my way. To go back to kind of what Will was talking about in terms of being able to prioritize and kind of know the value of what is being produced, I think maybe even modeling in a micro instance of what the intelligence community and how they leverage the National Intelligence Priority Framework, which basically is communications between the president and the, and the National Security Council basically say, these are the things that keep me awake at night. And we're going to allocate budget, and we're going to allocate time, and we're going to allocate people into answering all these questions in these various buckets. And then that is how, and then as you go about that, and you invest towards answering that question, you can say, hey, I just bought this sort of technology, and it's supposed to be answering this thing. And oh, by the way, I bought this feed and, and it's not answering this question, which I thought it would. So you know what? I'm not going to pay for this next quarter. Maybe I'm going to hire a person to, to do that for me. And so you can really start to, to kind of make the business decisions in and around you know, the, the production and or the consumption of the intelligence, depending on where you sit in that ecosystem. Yeah, those are, I think those are important, you know, those are important considerations, right? You know, how do, and that brings us to another point, uh, which I think is important to, to kind of, you know, introduce and broaden here is like, how much of the trade craft from the traditional world of intelligence analysis is actually understood and, and, and uh, beyond being understood, being applied in the back end, quote unquote, in, in these providers, right? Mm-hmm. For the express purpose of the, of the collection, mm-hmm. of the aggregation, the normalization, the deduplication, and the multidimensional analysis that leads to yeah. confidence and veracity yeah. in, in that intelligence, right? Yeah. How much of that is, is occurring in your opinion, right? And do you, yeah. do you think that people are, see, are, are actually putting forth that type of effort? Or do you think that we're, we're, we're somewhat weak in, yeah. in our game when it comes? To- I think it's a, like a philosophical like, discussion. It goes deep, man. Because if you got to think about it, like, you know, there's these, these, conf- these, these competing equities, especially within public and private sector, right? The public sector isn't going to share sources and methods because, you know, that usually is within the, the classified channels, right? And, and they're going to, from a national security perspective, you don't want to give up your goodies there. Now, from a commercial perspective, sources and methods, there's a thing that makes me unique and keeps me in business. So, it, you know, I, again, I'm not in a, 
you know, advantage to give that away because my competitors can, can do it. Although my consumers might gain a greater confidence in my work product if, if they know the real deal behind how I got it or where I'm getting it or how I, the decisions I made around it. So you have, you have, you know, these, the, those respective equities completely aligned against what, what are we trying to do at the end of the day and to better serve and protect our networks. So it, it's how do we, you know, how do we deliver against, you know, that, that purpose, knowing that we have these challenges, both on the public and private sector. You know, at the end of the day, if I can share, you know, this awesome, you know, these awesome detection signatures, and I can share the process and the method by which I investigate it, and I can share the recommended mitigation actions all in an encapsulated product that just says, you know, here, depending on where you sit from tier one to tier three, and maybe even at the C level or, you know, director level in between, these are all the things you need to make your respective decisions. Now go, you know, how much quicker would we be? How much more agile would we be? How much more could we reduce the surface area of the problem if we didn't have to kind of worry about, you know, the, the, those equities that I talked about a little earlier? Yeah. Thomas, what do you think? What are your thoughts on, on those things? I'm trying to weigh, down, weigh the, the idea. My f- fundamental issue is that a lot of times we just don't have the teams or the people to to do that as a full-time job or to actually invest the time into actually into learning and better understanding what what intelligence is coming in a lot of times it's firefighting right so you're you're, you're tending to 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 the latest attack or you're tending to the latest attempt to breach your data or to to steal your data it becomes complicated because you you are technically gathering all that intelligence your own intelligence plus you've got all the external intelligence that's coming in but when do you have actually have time to be able to process it properly unless you dedicate a team to it but that's not necessarily feasible for most organizations so mm-hmm. that's where I'm kind of a little bit stuck on on how we actually can, can get this done properly and, and that where that trade craft can fit in and how we can get people up you know into the into the trade and into into understanding what what needs to be done it's it's a lot more complicated than just saying yeah we can sure. do this you know and that's that's where i fall yeah. through right i've I've, you know, I've been in operational roles where i was doing incident response and you know you wish you could get to that phase where you do the you do, do the review of the incident and you can actually pull out the you know the proper indicators but you know i'd say yeah, a few times out of out of 10 you're not going to be able to do it because you're just fighting the next fire yeah i think i think what you're highlighting is kind of the 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 trough between the consumers and the producers you know the, the producers problems are not the same problems as the consumer and you know so I think that's that's a good that's a good breakdown. But then it raises: Are we dependent too much on producers, external producers, and we're not just we're just gathering all that data and feeding all that data that they're producing into our systems or into our process, and then we're just overloaded with you know too much noise? And is it just also drowning that attempt to actually get something done properly yeah. in your organization? I think you're right. I mean, it, it it's a kind of an unintended consequence because in 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 the consumers quest to find the easy button they almost make the problem worse because it's you know additional signal that you know seemingly produces more noise for them to go through yeah it's a valid point right you know but again i I would argue that you know like rich having worked for multiple organizations whose 
parts of whose missions were absolutely dependent on being a an upstream provider, a creator, origin source of, of intelligence, that the the burden is on the provider to provide that quality, right? So consumers have have uh, have to ask themselves to Rich's point earlier about living off the land, how much information they're actually harvesting from their own ecosystem, right? From their varied and sundry endpoints, from their network devices, their servers, et cetera, et cetera, right? You need to be able to take advantage of all those things that are either traditionally acknowledged as being sources of intelligence or not, or, or untraditionally looked at as being, you know, sources. But at the same time, you know, you, they also have to be informed about who they're, where they understand their gaps are, and then what sources they're looking to from a third party whether they're open source sources, right? And we all know some of those are going to be far better curated and managed over time than others or commercial sources, right? Wherein the tradecraft, I think, becomes really more, much more important, right? And it plays a much greater role in producing high fidelity, actionable intelligence, right? That That is meaningful. And I think that that's, that's something where uh, as an industry, and I've watched, I'm sure you guys have too, over the years watched this thing become a, a its own industry, right? Threat intelligence. You've kind of really been curious because you know from experience that there that there simply aren't that many actual intelligence analysts who have kind of matriculated between the, the traditional intelligence community space and the digital, the data front and security front, mm-hmm. and then gone off into the private sector to kind of produce yeah. these organizations. Yeah. So where in the trade that's where the trade craft I think becomes really important to me is that now when we talk about fidelity and all that on all that back end work, all that research work, right, that may or may may not be dependent upon automation or collection vehicles of various types and and processes dedicated to normalization and aggregation and duplication. You know, when we talk about tradecraft, right, you know, is that is that the missing link when when we're actually talking about threat intelligence? And in a lot of ways, I think it is. (laughs) But I'm curious about your what your opinions are. I mean, I think I think the tradecraft it speaks to the management of collection assets. You know, what's the business automation that I have to run in my network anyway? So this kind of goes back to your notion of living off the land. You know, I got to have web, I have to have email, I have to have DNS. You know, like that is just my basic kit to have a, a company nowadays. Like I, I probably have to have those sorts of services and protocols to be effective. And so because I'm doing it anyway, as a security practitioner, now this gives me surface areas and or control points to look for things and or, you know, stop the bad man if I, you know, know what I'm looking for. And, and so really being able to understand what those are, think creatively as to what, what surface area I might have, be it my endpoint, be it, you know, proxy infrastructure, whatever it might be, thinking creatively about what sort of questions do I want to ask? Where can I ask that question? How complete is my picture? And if it is incomplete, and I don't, and I can't answer some of these specific questions. What do I need to do in terms of process? What sort of people do I need to hire or train up in terms of being able to add some analytic horsepower behind something? But again, you know, you're since you're down there anyway, since you're already leveraging this business automation, you know, how can we just turn it on its head and also use it for various security use cases as well? Yeah, those are really good points. Yeah. And I think those are, are those are very good points, right? And I think we don't we don't oftentimes stress enough to your to your point, Thomas, and to and to your point also, Rich, about the value in living off the land, right? And really looking into those those data sources. You know, DNS is a great one, right? You know, you know, we, you know, taking advantage of those things, right, and really tapping into things that are already at our disposal. So, right. So, what kind of questions should organizations, or what sort of questions 
should organizations be asking themselves when they start looking at product platforms, when they start looking at third-party providers of threat intelligence, so they can make the, the most informed decision with respect to selection and acquisition of a source or a platform predicated on, on threat intelligence? What do you think are the most important questions that they need, that the, that the perhaps the uninformed you know, buyer or, or at best case, the informed buyer needs to be asking? Yeah, I'm trying to take this back to the unsexy side of it. And, you know, maybe it's controversial, but, you know, I'd, I'd say like, you know, can, can I do that too? Like, you know, based on what, whatever vendor XYZ is presented to me, you know, do I have the, the manning? Do I have the technology? Do I have the time and resources really to, to do this? You know, so if there's, if the intent is there, you know, and to some degree the capability is there, then, you know, really looking to, again, try to, you know, look at those specific technologies for specific types of problems. So, you know, being able to queue and leverage multiple sources of data. So my, my web and DNS data might be a great place to look for command and control. My email and web traffic might be a good way to look for, you know, inbound attacks. Like if it, it something evil is going to come in, likely going to be there. Sure, there's other ways, but maybe this is, you know, a starting point. You know, my endpoint. You know, what sort of what sort of coverage do I have there? Are there some users I want to watch closer than others? You know, so just you know, really being able to think about like, you know, how can I do this? How can I do this smartly? What can I leverage on my own? And if I am resource constrained, then then maybe it makes sense, to, you know, either way, if I'm resource constrained, I got to do it on my own, or, you know, I got to, you know, pay someone to do it for me. It's, those are sort of the, the decisions that folks have to do it. But I don't know if that's a good answer or not. I'm trying to fit it into the unsexy side. Well, it is unsexy, right? Because again, I think you did well, actually. You know, most of the things that I think I'm, I'm, I'm more overtly, and probably you, you are as well, and, and I think Thomas is as well, are, are concerned about is really to your earlier analogy, which was an apt one, is what's going on upstream with the sausage, right? What do your ingredients look like? Where are you sourcing those ingredients from? Mm-hmm. You know, sure, I want, I want to understand and enjoy the product, but if I'm an informed buyer who's got limited time, resources, or energy, or who just simply wants to make sure that they're actually laying their bets on the best available providers possible, right? I want to understand those things, right? To the be- to the to the best of my ability to understand those things, right? So I think that's that's and and I would argue that those are not that typically those things are not sexy. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think when when you talk about kind of the upstream, like what about like does the does the quality of the upstream affect the quality of the downstream? So if you're if you're again if you're not putting all the pieces together, if you're not even looking in the right places, you know what can you expect? Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, that, and so I always, I always riff on people about like, just how important, like, again, the collection management, signature management, how often are we revisiting this signature? Why are, you know, where are we placing this sensor? What are we seeking to collect? I mean, that, that is super unsexy. Like nobody likes managing that and revisiting and refreshing signatures and testing them and making right. sure they're accurate. That is like the dirty work. But again, if, if I'm putting all these sensors out and, and they're just alerting on all sorts of crap. What do you think my SIM experience is going to be like? And so, and and so that's my point is just like to really focus on sharpening the ax on the front end, because, you know, as that stream flows down, you know, that poor soul sitting in front of the SIM is, 
you know, who has to make real time decisions as to how I dole this out and how I triage. And that's his that that's his or her decision making cycle. It's going to be. I think that's. It's going to be impacted. I think that's one of the important one of the things that we didn't really talk about is up till now is is aging, right? I mean, intelligence has a set, has a certain life cycle. It's not valid all the time, right? I mean, it's gonna there's there's going to be fluxes around when it's when it's useful and when it's not useful and and how often it repeats or doesn't repeat. And you want to actually fine tune your process so you can actually age that, that information out because something that you thought was was potentially bad at one point in time after reviewing you know how the business operates or some of the business workflows you might actually find it's it's normal operate it's normal operating environments from, and it's something that you should normally see in your sensors so yeah. that's that's and a that, good point and, that, and that's where i go i mean and that and also kind of speaks back to the tradecraft again if i can give you a really tight signature or i can give you a really good splunk search how long is that going to last you versus if i give you a spreadsheet of of random indicators like, is that something that you can create a dashboard around? Is that something you can deploy and or, you know, share with others and have them look for other things and give you feedback on and, and tighten it up over time or fork it, you know, for secondary or tertiary sort of lookups? That's why I just feel, you know, at, at this stage in terms of threat intel, it's it's not like one over the other. You just use, I'm not like bashing indicators because there, there is some utility. Oh, you can go ahead and bash indicators. I, I bash them all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. I hate indicators because indicators are good at, at one point in time, right? I mean, but the, those indicators change, and they can change quite rapidly in this environment. I mean, and, and I, the, and I think, but that's, but that's all you do is you tuck that in the back of your head, and you really, it's all in the context of what you're looking at. Because if you say, hey, I'm looking at this thing, but it's within the window of, well, you know what? I don't think they would have changed that fast, or oh, you know, hey, this lines up you know, exactly with what we saw over here, the indicator proved its value. However, if it's, again, you know, it, I guess it's the main talking point of bashing indicators is, is, is age. But, you know, I might be able to leverage a lookup table with a technique, a lookup table of indicators with a specific technique. And if I happen to see that, I have, I have so much more confidence in whatever that alert is because I have the best, I have the best of both worlds. I have a, a PowerShell, yeah. you know, Splunk search with a handful of indicators that I know is tied to a specific group. So I can just bam, I can say, hey, bam, I got a technique and I got an indicator. I got the best of both worlds confirming and denying that that thing happened or con yeah, confirming you, you that, got, that that thing happened. You're, you're raising the, you're raising the, oh God, I'm, the words, I'm missing the word, the confidence of that alert, right? You're, you, you've just mm -hmm. upped your game because you're actually saying, well, I've seen both of these things. So yeah. I know that this alert is more likely to be real than something that's only got yeah. one of them or something that just happens to trigger on an indicator. And absolutely. And you're further down in your investigation chain because you have context, you know, in that scenario, because you say, oh, okay, it's this specific group. And so I can say, you know, what does that group tend to do or what do they tend to go after? So now I know what my kind of my next step or my next place to go to look for something could be because I've got, I've got a starting point to that alert versus PowerShell. Okay. PowerShell, what PowerShell APT PowerShell cr criminal, like what, where do I go with this? Right. Yeah. I fully agree. Yeah, no, those are all very valid points. Yeah. I, I think to just to kind of uh, not to beat it into the ground, but I do think that I do think that there is a, a time to life, in many instances with indicators, some people, obviously, some organizations, some threat actors and adversaries leverage them more regularly and for longer periods of time and share them. But then again, you know, in, in general, those, those are the minority. So I, I think you're absolutely right. So guys, we're getting up on the 30-minute the mark. 
why don't we go ahead and consider pulling together some final thoughts, some closing thoughts on sure. on the topic of today, right? Which is the unsexy, those un- unsexy aspects of threat intelligence and why we need to be cognizant of those things when we're making our decisions for incorporation, selection, and adoption. One of the things that we didn't really talk about on the unsexy side, especially for for the more technical people, is is the business process. I think you know it, it could be the whole subject of a, a separate podcast, essentially. But business process needs to fit into this somehow because understanding how the business works and what the what the you know the threats and the risks that the business takes can substantially help you build that that threat intelligence and improve the intelligence that you're that, how you're placing your sensors. That would be my final thought, really. I concur with that completely. And I think that that actually could be something that could be used to empower and make the case for for intelligence in terms of as as, as an investment area, because that allows you to speak, you know, to decision decision makers and and, and, and to the board. If an analyst is able to frame context, the intent of the attacker and, and the context as to what whatever technical capabilities they were leveraging does not matter to an executive. He or she does not care. All they want to know is, you know, what are they after? What are they trying to do? Why? And how are we going to stop them? So all that the geeky stuff can, can be, you know, for, for us to ooh and ah over. But at the end of the day, if a technical analyst is able to immerse themselves into the business to understand what the product lines are, to understand what the company's trying to do, what are some of the, the objectives, you know, for the company in terms of what they're, they're what they're doing in the market, that sort of thing. All of that can be used to produce a better work product and to frame whatever that thing that they're working on to better articulate, you know, the need for what they're doing and justify, you know, their efforts and really sell internally the value that is, you know, threat intelligence and or security. Because I think I think the answer is out there somewhere, but where do we where is it that we can flip and turn the assumption that security is just a, a cost of you know a cost of operations. It's just it's just a sunk cost. No, how can we turn this into you know some sort of business value where the company is making decisions based on that information or is able to do something with the derivative data where they can actually make the company money versus just be a cost center? Excellent. Well, guys, thanks very much, Rich, to you and your team at Splunk for taking time to be a part of this podcast. We hope to have you on again soon. Thomas, thank you as always for participating. Your insights are very, very valuable. Yes. For myself, Will Graduate, I want to say thank you to our corporate sponsors. And, uh, also for everyone who's out there listening, please let us know what you think of the podcast. We're open to your feedback and we hope to hear from you soon. On our next podcast, episode nine, we'll be hosting Mr. Nick Selby of street cred fame. And we'll be talking about a variety of things that are related to law enforcement, the intersection of data protection, threat intelligence, adversarial cognizance, and a whole host of other things. So thank you very much for your time. Stick with us and we'll see you soon. Thanks everyone. Thank you.